We're just trying to change the world here, people. Oh, really? It's time for another good idea, bad idea. Good idea. Welcome back to O'Reilly Radio 151, recorded, uh, well, now we're in a Saturday, April 15th, 2017, where we dismantle the current events for your edutainment through mostly rational conversations that make you go, oh, really. I'm your host, Andy Cowan, with my usual suspects. I've got Stephen Griffith, and Ruby Secker, and Daniel Atherton. And we've just, uh, we, we had a long discussion as, uh, as well, we fell down a rabbit hole. Um, but in order for you to find out what we found, you'll have to become a patron of the show. So you'll find that over at patreon.com for some of our outtakes in between. So those were some of the bad ideas and some of the more interesting things that we uh, we just stumble upon now and then. We were even just discussing what we were going to talk about and just fell into a rabbit hole about a topic. And, well, there we were. So today, let's see uh, if we have any feedback. You know, if you if you have anything that you need to tell us, go ahead and send it over to us because we make mistakes. O'Reilly Radio Podcast at gmail.com or phone it in 470-222-6759. And, uh-oh, we, we, have a, we have an update from 105 years ago. Amber, what in happened? About, in about two hours, the Titanic will have fully sank. 105 years ago. 2.20 a.m. That was 2.20 a.m. where it was sitting. Right. Yeah, at, uh, at about 2.15 was when the uh, angle in the water began to increase rapidly. Um, unflooded parts of the ship uh, started to get flooded. Um, this is when it started going down really fast at about 2.15 to 2.20. As the water went over the the barriers in between and started mm-hmm. to sink it fast, This fast, is also fast. when you had uh, passengers in the water as a 2.28 to 4.20. 10 a.m. Mm. There you go. So we, we may resurrect the whole uh, this day in history thing. We, we, we really enjoyed that. I know that uh, Fred Fred was doing a lot of those before, so maybe you two could collaborate. That would be fun. I get super excited about the Titanic, so I just had to... That's my hyperfixation. I had to put it out there. Oh, okay. Well, now we know. And knowing is half the battle. All right, and other things that we know about, apparently... Uh, the price of solar. We've talked about solar a lot on the show uh, because it is the wave of the future. Uh, <laughs> and uh, the price of solar has dropped 58% in the last five years alone. 58% is ridiculous. I remember it used wow. to be stupid expensive. And now it's like, uh, maybe I'll go ahead and put solar panels on my house. Yeah, I could, I could actually manage, maybe manage to do that. The, you know, they're better. They're more efficient. I may wait another five years and maybe they'll be even cheaper. <laughs> but then I will have had five years without solar. I don't know. Yeah. So we got to... I think... Go ahead. There's a I search think Arizona just did something with solar, too, where they, like... They're not gonna net meter it anymore, or something like that. Okay, I don't know about that because I know that the the utilities are going insane about mm-hmm. trying to 
regulate the the light coming off the sun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because um, it's eating into their profit margin. They of course, see themselves dying off. Right, right. right. Uh, they're afraid that all these ground based stations are eventually just going to eat all of the sunlight, and the sun's going to go out. <laughs> oh, like the. Uh, like how like wind. Wind, wind being a uh, finite resource and the, yeah, the windmills are we, slowing we down the earth. The, we don't want the wind to stop, man. Oh, God, I can't believe we actually have people in Congress that are like that. Anyway, yep. um, yeah, because those are direct quotes, folks. Direct quotes. Okay, so they solar... Were elected. Yeah, they were. They were. Good Jesus. Okay. Solar energy is now cheaper than retail energy in all but one of Australia's capital cities, and 20 new large-scale solar projects are expected to come online in the country in 2017. This trend in Australia is being reflected worldwide, with the cost of solar dropping 58% globally in the past five years, and the solar industry now employing more people than coal. Gee. Yeah. The coal jobs went away... And they're harvesting the sun. Because it's less hazardous. Yep. You get a sunburn, that's about it. Um, It is now far more reasonable in price with the technology that is available. Mm -hmm. And there's less maintenance involved. Yeah. So overall, it's just, it's more cost effective. Ooh. Costs expected to drop between 40 to 70% more by 2040. And if we can get those darn infrared panels to, you know, start being affordable to produce, then we've got it made. Mm Mm-hmm. Because then it's still getting energy at night. Wow. Power costs, Australian projections, actuals, uh, and overseas. So, interesting. Let me, uh, let me pull this up for everybody here. Uh, this one. There you go. Okay. So, little chart here. So, Australian dollars per kilowatt hour. So, coal is pretty cheap. Australia 2015. Oh, interesting. Okay, so the average 2014, then futures, or I'm not sure where that is. Yeah, futures 2018. Uh, Dubai, Australia, UK, uh, Australia, Abu Dhabi, Chile, more Dubai. Is America in there? U.S. Uh, U.S. has wind at least. But we're not showing up anywhere else. That's interesting. I'm not sure exactly how to read this chart. It's kind of weird. Okay. So uh, we're seeing more and more industrial-scale solar coming online across the country. This is, again, an article out of Australia. So, uh, But we are seeing it here in the United States as well. Us, uh, you know, yeah. America-centric folks here. Uh, hospitals, airports, farms, and a variety of other businesses have embraced smarter and cleaner power. Uh, nearly 7,000 solar batteries were installed in Australian homes last year, and that number is expected to triple in 2017. So, wow, that's that's quite the growth year over year. 
Well, now the technology is far more affordable yeah. and it's easier to install. It's less bulky. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's just better. 20 solar power plants are scheduled to be built around Australia, which will see an additional 3,700 megawatts of solar energy, and that's enough to power 600,000 homes. This will no doubt help Australia achieve its goal. It has a goal, folks, of reaching 20 gigawatts of solar generation in the next 20 years. It's achievable. Especially in a country like Australia. They got, got lots of space, of a whole lot of space where nobody lives, and it's all under the sun. <laughs> you, you got a whole heck of a lot of nothing. A whole lot of that. Yeah, that's that's impressive. So, And you might as well use that heck of a lot of nothing. Projections expect that renewable energy reaching uh, 50% by 2030, Australia alone will benefit from 28,000 new jobs in renewable oh. energy. And just think, you're going to those are things that you can have right out of, you know, right out of school, you get trained on this tech. And now you can maintain this tech which is being installed in all these homes as well as industrial plants and that's your that's your career. This is making careers, not jobs. In the United States, solar accounts for double the number of jobs as coal. We need to be teaching in the United States. No, that's in the United States. Yeah. We need to be teaching the guys ah. that are doing coal and convince the coal companies to to take take their capital. And switch to solar. My well, yeah, thing about that is, they just came up with the statistics from the uh, the pipeline that came through. They're trying to come through, like you know, okay, all the protests was about. They're like, and Trump going on about, look at all the jobs we're gonna create. We're gonna create all these jobs. Thirty-five. <laughs> that is the number of permanent jobs mm-hmm. that created. Thirty-five. Yeah. Solar. Uh-huh. Huh. Tens of thousands across the entire United States. Mm -hmm. In 2015, a study showed that the U.S. could be completely powered by renewable energy by 2050. In 2016, almost all of Costa Rica's electricity was generated by renewable sources. Germany, in an effort to phase out its nuclear energy, is also well on its way to making other renewable energy sources more viable. As these individual efforts and global ones like the Paris Agreement take shape, we will hopefully see a tangible impact on our environment. Like the Netherlands have actually taken to legislating, where hi, you're making a, you're building a new building. Okay, it's got to have solar panels on it. It has to. Yeah. And that that within their 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 slow housing boom is how they're getting the country to be self-sufficient on renewable energy. Yeah, it can be done. It can be done, folks. I mean, just, hey, here in the States, you're building a new building. you got to put solar panels on it. Just why not? Just why not? You know, 
it pays for itself. I mean, the time to do it is at a new construction loan. That's definitely the time to do it because new construction loans always have a lower interest rate. You might as well get it installed in. You're going to get the return on investment. Mm -hmm. It's a no-brainer. Yep. So let's bring it back to the United States, and let's go to California. Jerry Brown, governor of California, signed a, uh, let's see, what is it called? There is a bill. I do not see the name of it, but it is a $15 minimum wage. $15 Fifteen dollars an hour by twenty 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 no twenty twenty two twenty one twenty two twenty two really by twenty twenty two oh yeah I, I because see. Uh, yeah. everybody every economist who is, even agrees that yeah we need to raise wages we need to raise wages have all agreed you can't just overnight kick things no. up to that level it is something that it has to be phased in over like five years or so just like okay mm-hmm. bring it in slowly ramp it up because you just if you just ramrod it through all the way up there immediately, yeah, you'll have major economic problems. You'll have economic shock. Um, Their current to... mandatory minimum is $10. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So over five years, you can increase by a dollar. It's just just think of it as everybody getting a dollar raise for the next five years. That's something that you can reasonably plan as a business owner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and the thing that you can do is high. When it comes to any of your services, you are going to tack on an additional 50 cents per service. And you will accrue more than enough money to handle the increased wage. Plus, you can use the increased wage as its excuse for making more profit. Mm-hmm. Oh, look. So easy, so good. So in adopting the measure, California joined New York as the first states in the nation to enact a plan to raise their statewide minimums to $15 an hour. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo signed his state's legislation and was cheered by labor unions at a rally moments before Brown spoke in California. So, both of them did it at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the 2021 is for... Um, yeah, that was for New York. Yeah. I think. No, wait. Uh, it, it, uh, I was getting 2021 oh, Los from a, a ballot measure that this is replacing. Ah, okay. The yeah, original one said 2021, um, which would have been a year faster... But this one replaces that. Okay. It's not bad. Yeah. Still even At that, least it got passed and it's signed into law. Right. Yeah. Um, now, I, yeah, would, I am curious. I am curious whether or not it has any... Um, riders? Well, not just riders, but caveats for, uh, you know, inflation adjustment, cost of living adjustments. Oh, you mean the thing that would actually allow this law to exist in perpetuity? Yeah. Nah, probably not. Because, again, if you were going to adjust for inflation properly from when the original minimum wage was enacted, uh, it would be about $20.21. Uh, mm-hmm. That's what the minimum wage should be. 
I know, look, living on $20.21 an hour would mean that most people would be able to drag themselves out of poverty and would give our entire economy a basement that um, wouldn't be so bad if there was a global economic downturn. But the people at the very top don't have interest in making certain that happens because they would lose a couple of pennies. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, well, we'll see. We'll see how this goes. Uh, California and New York are, of course, enormous population centers. Also, they have a higher cost of living than a lot of the nation. They do. They do. Um, they're also the more educated bastions of liberalism. The, those are both very liberal states. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And though the, the interesting thing to note with California is that while they're mostly left-leaning and mostly Democratic in government, they do believe in reaching across the aisle and making, you know, compromise, the thing that we don't do anymore at the federal level. Well, speaking of, uh, of New York, they also announced that first in the nation, tuition-free college in New York. With However, caveats. There are a few caveats to that, but of course there would be. It's so, not actually tuition-free. Um, Excelsior, which is the name of the uh, program, the Excelsior Scholarship, uh, it fills in the gaps of costs not covered by financial aid. Uh, it would need to be added on top of other scholarships and grants in order to make college free. And for students who are not receiving any other financial aid, uh, those who are making too much to qualify for need-based support, it helps them more. And it's primarily aimed at middle-class families instead of low-income families. So it's always, always a what? So yeah, you don't need help as much, so they're going to give you more help. That sounds Republican to me. Uh, no, it, it, I can I can understand this just going through the, the the memory of my time in college, um, because my my family was middle class. They were fortunately enough for me. My parents invested in prepaid tuition, uh, and uh, here in Florida, I still qualified for Bright Future scholarship. And the university that I decided on was also paying me a stipend. For the first two years. Mm. Um, so, but even with that, there was tremendous costs right. with those things. Um, again, I got a few small pittance scholarships that helped pay for books, but keeping myself fed, <laughs> that was a pain in the butt. Um, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, it's it's not necessarily like a bad thing. It's just that it's not going to help low income families as much as it will help no. middle class families. Yeah. It, um, it's it's for those that are just well enough off. It's going to help those with, with minor struggle. Uh for those that are truly struggling but qualify for a lot of the lower income scholarships, but there's heavy competition for those. There's still going to be people left behind and hurt. Um, but in the, the reasoning of this, and it's much more palatable to 
uh, are your sort of corporate Democrat uh, yeah. or corporate Corporate, uh, nice. Yeah, it's about right. Is that this specifically targets your voting base and that this helps a lot of white middle-class families that may not ha- have a long legacy of college get their kids in college. Um, some of the numbers here, the total cost for tuition fees, room and board for four years at state university of New York, for example, is about $83,000. So roughly 21,000 per year or 10,000 per semester. This program Excelsior would pay about 26,000. So families would still need to shoulder nearly 60,000 to send a student to college. Interesting. It's a band aid. Yeah. Um, you qualify if your family earns an annual income of $100,000 or less during the first year of participation in the plan. New and existing students may apply. You don't need to be a native of New York State or even a current New York resident to do so. Um, oh, that's interesting. That's kind of nice. Uh, it's unclear whether there will be a grade point average requirement, but applicants must continue to college from high school with no interruptions. If the scholarship recipient becomes a part-time student or graduates from high school late, the option is off the table. Oh, welcome um, to 13th, 14th, 15th, and 16th grade. Yeah, if you uh, if you take time off of school for personal reasons, um, that's where things get tricky. If the program were applying to those who are now in school, not that many students, or certainly a minority of students, would qualify for the scholarships because most of them are working part-time or taking longer than four years to graduate. Yeah. Uh, according to Mr. Chen. And with that rule in place, more than 90% of students at the state's community colleges would not qualify for free tuition. Uh, recipients should plan and live to live and work in New York after graduation for as many years as they received help with the tuition. Interesting. If that obligation is broken, they will need to repay that year, similar to repaying a student loan, though the plan includes some flexibility and exceptions such as personal hardship or military service. Um, now, I can Ooh. actually understand the reasoning for this. Well, sure, yeah. That, um, I, it allows New York to sort of recoup that investment. Right. Um, and I'm perfectly fine with that being put into legislation. In fact, one of the things that I wish be put into law here, since we are having such a lack of teachers, is, hi, we will pay for you to go and get your education degree as long as you promise to go to the school we choose and work there for four years. Hmm. These are a lot of caveats, though. Yeah. Yeah, and, and this, this, this should like, not it, be called it, tuition. It should no, not be called tuition-free. It's yeah. a scholarship program. This is uh, not tuition-free. In no. any way, shape, or form, this is not tuition free. And I, I'm not going to go on a on a big tangent about it. I'm just going to like I mean, at some point, if somebody wants me to, I will. But I'm just going to say that very recently, as in this week, I had experience with. Um, I, I was thinking about very seriously about going back to school and going through the process of that. And uh, there's. A lot of, of problems with trying to go back to school, yes. um, especially where scholarships are concerned. I did. This is the one thing I'll touch on, like somewhat in depth, but just it, it won't take very long. One of the biggest things that surprised me, 
um, that I did not know about until a couple days ago is that if you are near your federal loan limits, you do not qualify for a lot of scholarships. Nope. <clears throat> which I did not know. Um, so like if you are say close to your loan limits and saying like, all right, so the last two terms, I wouldn't have any financial aid. Can I qualify for this scholarship, which I meet all the other requirements for? Nope. You're on your own. Yeah. The only way around that, that I know of is, hi, hey, are you going post-grad education? Okay. Um, the, mm, the way that they it's explained tricky. it, the way they explained it to me, no, that wouldn't work. Um, they were like private loans and I was like, uh, no, <laughs> you're insane. Like, absolutely not. Have you seen the rates on those things? Nah. Uh, on, to top it off also with current leadership, uh, any sort of federal student loan, you can expect to not be kind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, no, no. It's especially not with uh, the shenanigans that Navient's been doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ambient yeah. and DeVos's leadership, it is, it, it's a bad time to go to college. Yeah, and Navient bought my loans, so. I'm so sorry. Yeah, mm-hmm. me too. I'm lucky that I don't, I was able to manage to somehow maintain nothing but federal. So mm-hmm. I'm good there. But yeah, I keep looking at the, I'd like to maybe go back and get another degree or maybe go to grad school. Oh wait! I'm looking at the current state of everything in the government. Going, yeah, I, I will even more not be able to afford it. I yeah, had 88. I had 88 credits toward a bachelor's um, from the previous institution that closed due to fraudulent mm-hmm. fraudulent loan practices. But I still can't get that handled because of whatever fuckery with the goddamn Department of Education. But um, yeah, so I was hoping to like finish that up because I was extremely close to my bachelor's but nope no way for me to do so without paying 26k or so out of pocket which yeah. is more than I make in a year so yeah that's that's the problem with most things is what it costs is more than most people make in a year mm-hmm. <sighs> so that Again. sucks okay um minimum wage should be 2021 yeah, but yeah, that makes me mm. as it relates to the story that we're talking about. That made me wrinkle my nose a little bit more at the whole. This is a scholarship, and I'm like, oh boy, this it, is it, gonna have some serious drawbacks to it. Yeah, and now I pan back up to the top of the page and I see the picture. Uh huh. Yeah, Hil- Hillary there, and I'm just going, yeah, this is definitely something you would be happy about. Yeah, she wanted minimum wage at twelve an hour. So I mean. Yeah, she thought 15 was asking too much. Yeah. Uh-huh. But this is... This is, who this is a corporate Way crime. above us. This is false advertising is what it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They, they try to take something of Bernie's and run with it, and they turn it into a corporate crap thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. this is... No. It's called rebranding. Yes. It's all the rage right now. Okay, I need to get corporate crap... Trending on Twitter. Okay. All right. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. We can do that. Okay. All right. Well, since we're since we're already fired up and everything, let's uh, let's ask let's ask Trump S of for wall designs. 
but he got something else. <laughs> he got so many different things. <laughs> what, what he got here was actually very, very cool. Um, yeah. And President Trump wants to build that wall. He really sometimes, on alternate Thursdays, wants to build the wall. Mm-hmm. Um, a group of designers, uh, there's 14 of them called the, the Made Collective, M-A-D-E. It's a group of 14 planners, architects, and engineers. Took the, okay, want a wall? How about we don't do a wall? Uh, let's build an entirely directly, and I mean directly along the border, Hyperloop. Um, that's elevated. Right, and, and, and Hyperloop is uh, is one of Elon Musk's deals, and it is on average elevated twenty feet above the surface to uh, uh, smooth out any gaps. So anywhere mm-hmm. from, you know, it, it may dip below through tunnels, or it might go as far as a hundred feet up above the surface. But on average, it's like twenty feet. And this will have stopping points all along it. They say, you know, if this thing matches the speeds that uh, Musk's Hyperloop is proposed to do, uh, you could literally travel from the Pacific coast where essentially the border starts quote unquote to the bottom of Texas, where it enters the, uh, Gulf of Mexico in a less than three hours. Uh, the entire border. Um, but they went way beyond the idea of the doing this whole, let's just build a hyperloop. They went, okay. They went and said, okay, call, this idea of the Otra Nation, which would essentially go, okay, we take this little area that is essentially the direct border of United States and Mexico and create a co-nation. Literally, it's a its own little independent thing, but is overseen essentially by both simultaneously. And along that line, they look at you know restoring wetlands and forests and putting in solar power panels to power everything. So, I mean, like, 90,000 square kilometers of solar power stations along this. This is pretty genius. So it's, it's Yes, it, this is a bit far-fetched and a bit utopian in its view, but it's really neat and true. You look at it and go, this is a great idea. The We take this horrific idea and go, but why don't we just do this instead? I, I'm more willing to sign off on trillions of dollars worth of spending if it's for a means for, you know, a bunch of people to travel a long distance. I mean, hi, that 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 is is an economic opportunity. This is infrastructure. Mm-hmm. This is the good stuff. And then you're putting down solar panels on top of it, so you're putting down power and you're helping the the environment. Okay, yeah yeah you, you, you sold me. Again, looking at the article, they're saying, you know, they'd have stops that would stretch, you know, San Diego to Tijuana, east of Brownsville, Matamoros, you know, in the very southern tip of Texas. They would also branch off to, like, San Francisco, Santa Fe, Dallas, Mexico City. Hmm. I'm like, this, this I'm all for this. Revolu- Let's do this. Revolutionized transit in that neck of the woods. Interesting. Very interesting idea. This is future thinking. Oh, yeah. yeah. This, is, this is very futurist thinking. I, in all of the crap that we have to put up with, this is something that makes you go, I, I still have a little bit of hope because there are still people out there who are thinking this way, and I'm going, very cool. 
Again, the, the article even ends the idea. People often say, build bridges, not walls. This would be one hell of a bridge. Yeah, no Ooh, kidding. 90,000 90, square kilometers of solar panel stations. Yeah, which I believe would be more than enough to power the entire U.S. Well, you'd figure they'd be splitting the power between the U.S. and Mexico. Yeah. Which would still help many, many states within both countries. Um, this would help, you know, that carbon footprint that we talk about so often, this is a huge help. Well, also to give you this idea, looking at the... Uh, this is also from a 2009 article, so we're dealing with something that is much more. We get more efficient sense, but the idea of it would take 2,000 or they want to do 90,000 square kilometers of solar panels. Um, as of this article I see here, written in 2009, it would take only 496,000, so 500,000 square kilometers to to power the planet. And they want to do 90,000. We do have the space for it. That's the thing. We have yeah. the space for it. It's just the commitment to do so, and then the infrastructure to run it. And if you're already putting in a giant project like this, yeah. Yes, Daniel, this would be a win-win. Mexico would, would be paying a portion and help Trump keep his, his campaign promise. Because if we yep. did the entire Ultra Nation thing, it would be both nations putting forward 50% of the bill. Oh, by the way, pardon me, from Business Insider slash Tech Insider, they actually had an updated to this for, uh, that came out in October 1st of 2015. Here's the breakdown. Uh, the U.S. Energy Information Administration's estimation of global energy consumption by 2030 is 678 quadrillion BTUs. Divided by 400 kilowatt hour solar panel production per square meter of land based on 20% efficiency, 70% sunshine days per year, and the fact that 1,000 watts of solar energy strikes each square meter of the Earth would be 500,000 square kilometers of solar panels to power the entire planet as of 2030. Oof. With nothing else, no other form of renewable energy whatsoever, just entirely off of solar. Zero diversification. Huh. And we're looking at 90,000 along that border. Hi. We're good. Yeah. So that's cool. Okay. Um, oh, if we could only do it along both borders. Oh, dude. Yeah. Share Canada, with Canada, Canada, too. Yeah. I mean, come on. Let's put all those panels in. <laughs> We'd be more likely to get it done with Canada. But with Canada, you'd also have to make sure that you've got plenty of heaters on those. <laughs> yeah, but at, at the same time, you got the hyperloop as well. Yeah. Oh boy. The oh yes. Yeah. A, a a. Oh, that would be such a ride. Just imagine going from essentially here to oh. New York in less than three hours. From the center of Florida to New York City in less than three. Well, hours. there is a well, pro there is a proposed hyperloop. Longer boulders, so it'd be probably five hours from. The Pacific to the Atlantic yeah. oh, yeah. on the northern border. Well, actually, um, what's interesting is that, uh, you know, I, I was reading up on um, on Hyperloop actually today, and they were uh, 
Musk was saying that really at the speeds that we're talking about, if you wanted to do longer than, you know, a longer run like coast to coast, really a transonic jet is, is better. Or oh, I yeah. think, I think he said ballistic. <laughs> like a ballistic perigee up and down. Oh, yeah. That would, that would be more efficient, he said. <laughs> it's like, well, it'd be faster. I don't know. Um, but. On the same lines, I'm really happy he announced yeah. officially the next project is a Tesla semi, like semi-tractor trailer, and yeah. a Tesla pickup. I'm going, ah, yes, I want my pickup, damn it. Yeah, it looked like a weird Silverado kind of... Don't care, thing. if the thing can tow 5,000 yeah. pounds, I'm good. It can, pretty sure, yeah. That's not really a problem for it. Um, okay, so... so a little bit of hope there for coolness. Yeah, that's uh, not going to happen at all, but it, it is nice to see that we have some, some really smart people that are doing things like that. That's uh, pretty darn slick. Okay, so <clears throat> then we've got, speaking of Canada and the long border there, Canada is poised to approve a law legalizing marijuana nationwide recreationally, I might mm-hmm. add. Yep. Which is, this is Justin Trudeau's, one of his big campaign promises. Hi, every U.S. politician. Mm-hmm. Um, one of his big things said he wanted to see marijuana legalized recreationally in Canada. Not like, okay, everybody gets a bale of, you know, 400 pounds of marijuana. Uh-huh. Reasonable amounts, you know, but the idea that we don't need to throw people in jail for this piddly crap. Mm-hmm. And, oh, look, these other states and places that have done it in other countries are making a crap ton of money. Why aren't we doing this? So... That's what he's trying to now push through the parliament. According to Blair, a former Toronto police chief, this bill will make America make Canada safer. It yeah, will that's make, uh, Bill Blair. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. This will make their their nation a safer place. All the while, we have ye old racist wanting to re up the drug war here in the the U.S. Yeah, I like what the police chief said. The police forces spend between two to three billion dollars every year trying to deal with cannabis, yet Canadian teens are among the heaviest users in the Western world, said public <laughs> safety manager Ralph Goodale. Criminals pocket seven to eight billion dollars in proceeds. That's so, so, why, so let the government bar- get seven to eight billion dollars in proceeds. Let's be honest. Nine to eleven billion dollars that could be put back into their economy. Nine yeah. to eleven billion. Yeah, you go from spending three billion to earning eight billion. Yeah. Yeah, the bill still needs to be approved by Parliament, but Trudeau's Liberal Party does currently command the solid majority, and the measure also has support from the country's Conservative Party. We are doing things wrong here. <laughs> yeah. You don't say. Oh, they set man. the minimum age to purchase and use marijuana to eighteen. Um, also, uh, individuals would be allowed to possess up to 30 grams of marijuana for personal use, similar to the about one ounce standard that we use. And households would be allowed to grow up to four marijuana plants. Wow. And besides uh, removing penalties for individual use and possession, it unfortunately would not set up a nationwide system for selling marijuana commercially. Those details are going to be left to the individual provinces, provinces rather than being handled by the central government 
in, in my opinion, that actually helps because um, it means that uh, licensing fees and ta- uh, provincial taxes can be set by each province. Mm-hmm. But the funny thing is about that, as I said next, in provinces that decline to set up a commercial framework, customers could order marijuana online from a federally licensed producer. Bingo, a workaround. Mm-hmm. Which would be uh, probably the best way to do it, because then it would be consistent. Because any, and regulated. Any federal thing, would it would have to be fully regulated and, you know, up to spec. Because, really, oh no, I got bad weed from my seller. Who sold it to you? The feds. Well, well, the funny thing is this would put a lot <laughs> yeah. of pressure on the U.S. about this because, again, the problem is the United States doesn't allow mm-hmm. – you know, because it's still illegal at the federal level, doesn't allow you to use a bank while operating a green business. Yeah. Wouldn't this technically allow a Canadian bank to accept yes. the money? Yes, it would. Which would you know, immediately – Make a lot of people hopefully stand up and go, oh. okay, we need this so we can compete with our neighbors. It would apply economic wow. pressure uh, upon financial institutions here in the U.S. That would that would be sticky, though, with an inter- international banking and drug regulation. That yes. would still be really sticky. But I am certain there are lawyers that would find a way to make it work. But the advantage would be, unlike certain things like we know Royal Bank of Scotland and other groups have gotten in trouble for laundering drug money um, since it would be legal in the country and it is not a failed state country uh, then it might come under very interesting other statutes and stipulations Uh, it'll be interesting to see how it comes out international law typically falls along the side of you follow the the rules and the laws and the legislation of the country you're doing business in so if a bank in wherever is doing business in America with American customers, they have to follow American regulations in addition to their own, not instead of or anything like that. So it, yes, it, but for yeah. certain places like Colorado, um, you could you know take that short flight to do your, your banking at the end of the week. Or what you could, yeah, but then, no, then you're still doing, then you're doing international money laundering. Yeah, unfortunately. And then you're so in jail. So, so in jail. Um, However, if you're dealing with a state-owned bank, which we do have one of in this country, in North Dakota... Yeah. All Colorado has to do is just open up its own state treasury as a bank. That's all they have to do. Interesting idea. That's really all they have to do, and then they would completely legitimize the whole thing. So, Hmm. you know, just a suggestion, you know, should anybody in Colorado be listening, (laughs) try that. Because then also you can uh, you can control you can issue uh, your own 
uh, state treasury bonds. You could have, you know, an entire other thing going on just in your own in-state economy. Because hmm. North Dakota didn't suffer any problems with, you know, a slowdown and a slump. Because of, of yeah. incentivized investment right. within the state bank. Right. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, and yeah, there, and there's a reason why it's the only state that, that was able to do it, because they have an itty-bitty tiny little population. So, they were able to get get past, get away with it without having too many other corporate interests get in there and get in the way. So, slipped under the radar. And that is going to do it for our mostly good ideas and before we leave off how about we uh, how about we talk about some picks and then we'll uh, we'll close it up close down for the evening okay so steven you've got one here a really damn good rice cooker what's this about i love rice cookers. <laughs> i've i've decided that i was going to okay let me let me have some better rice cooking because before it's been just i have a a pan throw it in cool and most of it's cooking jasmine rice and i'm trying to get a little more healthy which means for me looking at other dietary plans and everything else, which given my particular predilections and understandings and desires means looking at like more Asian inspired foods, especially Japanese. Mm-hmm. Of course, a lot of friggin' rice. It's the staple dish. So I want to look around and see if I can find a decent rice cooker that wasn't going to break the bank. I found a really, really nice rice cooker that was between 300 and $400, but I'm not quite there yet. Wait, this one's only so, $35. This, this looks fantastic. This one is only $35. I got the 14-cup version, and as Dan will say, I, can I now make really damn good rice. Um, yeah. Nearly every time I've made rice in this thing, because I don't make just – I don't throw just standard rice in there and everything else, but I, I have my own little recipe. Congratulations. We're now going to the, the new recipe segment of O'Reilly Radio. Um, <laughs> I use uh, – I've been using standard Japanese sushi rice, and okay. I take – what is essentially nearly a small handful of fresh garlic cloves, finely chop them and throw them in there along with about four cups of rice. That's a lot of rice. And and it makes, well, it's four of their cups, which is like six ounces, I think, is a cup for them, for how this thing measures. Okay. Um, and there, so far, there's been only once or twice where I have had to put rice away in the fridge. Either myself, Dan, JP, um, we have friends over, we do gaming. I've actually had to remake rice because everybody ate any, ate it all, and I <laughs> barely had any left myself. Um, I, I've, I'm still working on figuring out how the hot cereals thing works, because you can do hot cereal cooking in this, like oats, grits, etc. This does you know, steaming, not yeah, not just rice cooking. This also is a steamer, and you can cook rice and steam vegetables at the same time. Um, you can do whole grains. Um, you know, there's the whole list of opportunities and ways to use this. Um, I have not had a bad rice dish yet that I've made. The rice has always come out perfect in this. Um, it's not quite. It's not stovetop, so you're not going to be like, okay, let me put it in and be done in 90 seconds. It's not let me put it in, I'll be done in 20 minutes. It's about 45 minutes for for the rest that I've done, and yeah, every time, perfect. It has a warming function, keeps it warm without a problem, without even really burning the rice. 
I've had race cars before that, yeah. yeah, the race is done, but the entire bottom is burnt to crap. Yeah. Um, I have not had that problem whatsoever with this rice cooker. I have no problem recommending the Hamilton Beach 37548 Rice and Hot Cereal Cooker. Um, it's a, I got it with the steam basket. It's, last I checked was, when I did it was the same price. Get it with a steam basket. You can also use that to wash your rice in. Um, yeah. but no, I'm, I'm all for it. Uh, if you need the really, if you need the 20 cup, go for it. Um, I found the 14 fine for me. Um, depends on how many people are looking to feeding on a regular basis, but I, I love it. I, I, I don't quite spoon with it at night. Um, <laughs> Dan looks disturbed and I understand. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a really damn good rice cooker. I was actually for 35 bucks. I was impressed by the quality and I am planning on doing a good review write up on that. But I, w- I was truly no problem with this cooker whatsoever. I highly recommend it. Go out and get one if you want to cook some rice. That's pretty impressive. Okay. And for for that price, geez, that's that's awfully good. Yeah, for people who are looking at this, yeah, you look at actual, you know, people who listen to this, you look at Amazon's page as of this point, yeah, 347 reviews, average review. Our average total is four and a half stars. Yeah. Only 4% as one star. 65% yeah, 65 were five stars. That's pretty darn good. Yeah. It doesn't get a whole lot better than that. Okay. Well, I need more counter space and cabinet space. <laughs> things like that, so... Yeah. Just take something you don't use on a weekly basis and put it somewhere else and just use this on a weekly or daily basis. Something yeah. like Well, I have, a, I have an Instapot pressure cooker, mm. um, which also does rice. So I don't really need another separate rice cooker. That's fair. Since I have that. And also, uh, since it's a pressure cooker, it will do rice in 20 minutes. And it's good. It does. It does well get a little. Rice works in pressure cooker. It does get a little crisp on the bottom. Um, yeah, don't have that problem. Yeah, but you know what? If I'm, if I take it out immediately, then I don't have that problem. But the warming, yeah, it, it'll do it. But I'm also well, yeah, using. What did I use last time? Uh, jasmine rice, not uh, mm. not sushi rice, but jasmine. Yeah, rice. I've been so. using jasmine. I'm gonna try that. But again, using sushi yeah. rice, I've literally let it sit there and warm for over an hour after cooking. Still not burned. Well, it, it wasn't bad. <laughs> it wasn't well, no, bad. I'm, saying, so, I'm, just, yeah. I'm just impressed. I was expecting oh, yeah. char. Nope. Yeah, I mean, they, they look really similar. Just this uh, this keeps in the steam, but it does not pr- not cook at pressure. Mm-hmm. So, uh, for what you're doing here, that is. Yeah. Um, still very impressive. That's a great, uh, that's a great one. Very nice. All right, and Daniel, you've got one, The Ballad of Black Tom. Yes, uh, I don't know if, if our viewers heard that one discussion, uh, but this this is the uh, Lovecraft-inspired um, story that I was talking about a while back. This is The Ballad of Black Tom. Uh, 
I have a fondness for some of Lovecraft's work, but as it seems with a lot of authors, love they have views that are disappointing at best. Uh, Lovecraft, while made delightful works, was a bigot. Uh, yeah, misogynist. Um, this uh, story by Victor Laval um, takes one of Lovecraft's most noted works of bigotry, uh, the Red Hook Tale, um, and changes it up. The horrors at Red Hook has been changed up and it is now a story being told from the perspective of a street hustler slash troubadour, uh, Charles Thomas Tester. Um, and it is a delightful story. And one well, that's very engrossing and uh, for 160 pages you really can't put it down. So I, I don't want to ruin anything, but if you're looking at somebody picking up Lovecraft's mantle or just a sort of different view on Lovecraftian tales, this is the book for you. Well, I'm glad to hear that you liked it because I bought it about a month ago and just haven't gotten to it yet because there's a bunch of books ahead of the queue ahead of it in the queue so now i'm looking forward to getting to it no i i had a particular fondness for this book uh awesome and um no but it's it's a quick read it's a good quick read a novella it looks like yeah i i really have a a fondness for short fiction um Mm -hmm. again what well, my personal favorite authors is uh, Conan Doyle and Sherlock Holmes, and a lot of the best works there, let's face it, are the short stories. Right. I agree. So, good short fiction, something that I can, you know, get through in an evening is is my ideal. And this this fits fits the bill. One of NPR's best books of 2016, winner of the 2016 This Is Horror Award for Novella of the Year, and a finalist for the 2016 Hugo, Nebula, and Bram Stoker Awards. That's some street cred right there. For a paperback copy, it averages $5.99 on Amazon. Yep. And also in Audible, uh, I... I wouldn't waste your full credit on Audible. I'd go ahead and buy it for six sixty one, uh, or you can get the uh, get the Kindle for three ninety nine. At least those are the current prices. Individual mileage may vary. Looks but good. This this is a good read, and it the characters are very compelling, and it, it, you can tell this was written with love. And this is this is his most recent book, apparently, at least according to his author profile on Amazon. But he's got several, and I think you'd probably be interested in a lot of these. Some of these look really, really enticing. Hmm. So, yeah, I. But th- this was something that 
I remember seeing excerpts from in uh, uh, a a short little like uh, I think it was uh, maybe Geek and Sundry, maybe the Nerdist, just like little write up, and they had just like the first five pages. And I read those and I go, I have to read the rest of this. <laughs> I can't just let it lie. And no, great book. Absolutely great book. Looks like his first book is called uh, Slap Boxing with Jesus. <laughs> but there's not a whole lot of information on that. So it, was, uh, it came out in 1999. Uh, I believe it's a collection of short stories. So Looks entertaining as well. Okay, very cool, very cool. And Amber, I see that we're we're all going to Amazon today. Yes. <laughs> uh, so this is one of my books. It's the third in the series, but um, the books stand alone. Um, you don't have to read the other books in the series to understand what's happening in this one. Um, because we're on the anniversary of the Titanic, uh, I thought I would throw this one out there because it is largely about the Titanic. Um, it's, it, it deals with, um, a woman named Nikki Brewer and, um, she's very much a, a skeptic of anything having to do with magic or religion or really anything, um, at all. And, um, she ends up, uh, getting this bejeweled bottle from a very creepy antique shop in town. And what do you know? It has a genie in it. Oh, what do you she, know? <laughs> she completely disbelieves that this is a thing. She makes an errant wish. And they, they end up back on the Titanic uh, in 1912. And they have a mystery to figure out before it sinks. Otherwise, they can't go back. Um, it was rated <clears throat> as Four Fangs by uh, Paranormal Romance and Authors That Rock. Uh, Diane Bilo at Tome Tender um, said this is not a fairy tale for bedtime stories. This is the magic of Lana Hart's words. Uh, Ophelia Bell, who's another like urban fantasy and paranormal author, had nothing but good things to say about it. Uh, it's got a four and a half star rating. Um, I, I've heard from fans of the entire series that it's the best book in the series. Um, I had a lot of fun writing it. It also deals with a lot of stuff from ancient Egypt. Um, there's murder. There's um, fucking with the timeline in ways that they really shouldn't be doing and the consequences of that. Um, damn uh, paradoxes. <laughs> yeah, damn paradoxes. Uh, the genie, his personality has been compared to the 10th Doctor. Um, for those of you who enjoy Doctor Who, Um so, yeah, I, I ended up doing, like, a lot of historical research for this um, on the Titanic. So if if you have any interest in magic or the uh, the Titanic or ancient Egypt, um, this is definitely a book for you. I've bought it. It's in my queue. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you. Well, you're welcome. I'm sure that I will be uh, more than welcome by just reading it. So, there you go. Everyone, support so. your local artist. That's right. That's right. And um, 
I my pick this week is ReasonCon because I'm going and I won't <laughs> be here next week. So there you go. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, at this late stage, I think all the tickets are sold out. Uh, so I, I I hope to see you there. Any listeners out there? Uh, and you know, come see me. You've you've probably you probably know what I look like by now. And you most certainly can recognize my voice from across the room. So, come say hi. I'm rather approachable. So, and then I'll give you a button for free. So, come see buttons. me. Buttons, buttons, buttons. Who's got the buttons? Andy's got the buttons. Well, Fred's got the, got some buttons too. So, and I'm dragging him with me. So, we'll have a good time. And uh, and that is going to wrap it up. Are there any last minute things that we that you want to? To get out there for our audience, my wonderful panelists. I think I'm pretty good myself right now. Alrighty, enjoy your rice. And with that, that is it for tonight, for this week, and until next we meet, uh, we will see you then. Let's keep the conversation going. Head over to O'Reilly Radio. That's O-R-L-Y-R-A-D-I-O. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, Google+. Subscribe to the podcast for the audio version and the YouTube and the Twitch channels for the video version, of course. And watch us live and join in the chat, all from our webpage or directly from uh, Twitch. Let's say uh, twitch.tv slash O'Reilly Radio Show if you want to hit that. And if you've enjoyed what we've done here and you'd like to help us out, there's a few ways. You can donate to the show through Patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash O'Reilly Radio, O-R-L-Y-R-A-D-I-O, should you need it spelled out. And get early access to show content. And uh, for certain patron levels, you get access to the show notes. And you can obviously engage with us directly and, uh, and get your words heard on the show. Uh, speaking of words, you can use those words and share the show with somebody that you know. Also, you make that algorithm work for us by leaving us a review on iTunes or wherever you found us, and that'll help boost our ranking and get us in front of more people. And, of course, engage with us directly. Send us that message on social media as the electronic mails. Even if you aren't a patron of the show, it's okay. We understand. But still... We want to hear from you at O'ReillyRadioPodcast at gmail.com or if they're more talkative, so we've got a voice line, 470-222-ORLY-6759. It's always ready to take your call or your text. And if you don't like what we've done here this evening, you can contact the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-8255, available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. The Lifeline provides free and confidential support for people in distress, prevention and crisis resources for you or your loved ones, and best practices for professionals. Thank you for choosing to waste your valuable time on us. This has been O'Reilly Radio, part of the Random Acts Company. This work licensed under Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 United States license, including the music Rocket and PEMG created by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. And we will see you when we see you. Send us those notes. Send us some voicemails. I'll play them on the air. It'll be wonderful. We'll talk. We'll have we'll have a nosh. Come on. Let's go. All right. See you guys later. Bye-bye.